Pop Culture Footnotes, the podcast that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. And we are joined remotely this week by Stoffer, David Stoffer. <laughs> Hello, I'm back. You guys welcome me back. Yay! <laughs> Happily. Um, so Stoffer is here to help us discuss the Oscars um, 2019. Yeah. Yay, Shannon's favorite subject. <laughs> this year, that's a loaded. <laughs> I don't know that it's my favorite subject this year, but Fair enough. yes, in general. <laughs> yes. Um, before we get into it, so we normally would do a media of the week, but because um, this is just going to be a very long episode, there are eight Best Picture nominees that we want to summarize for you, and we want to go over <laughs> some of the stuff around the telecast. We are going to skip that this week, so we're just going to launch right into it. Shannon. Take it away. Tell us about yeah. the Oscars 2019. Yeah. Um, so I guess what we wanted to talk about first is just all of the drama around this telecast. Um, so usually I feel like it's not that exciting until the Oscars actually happen. Um, so we didn't go over this a lot last year, but this year it's like the whole ceremony has <laughs> had all of these controversies. All of this debate about how to make it shorter. So basically for context... Um, Last year's ceremony had 26.6 million viewers, which is the lowest in like many, many years. Um, like when the height of the Oscars, like when Titanic was running, it was more like 50 million. So 50 million? Yeah. So it's been low. <laughs> um, and ABC's desperately trying to boost the ratings of the Oscars. So they've tried many things. <laughs> um, and I'm going to give you a timeline of some of those things. Oh um, so first in August, <laughs> some of these two, you can check our um, 2018 recap. Mm-hmm. We went over a few. But in August, they announced a new category, which was the Academy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Popular Film. Uh, what that means, none of us really knew. <laughs> um, we were assuming it would be something that made a lot of money. Um, the Oscars traditionally don't award things that are like blockbuster, yeah, action movie Blockbusters types. can't possibly be good. How I no. know. <laughs> Isn't it such um, a condescending category? It's the worst. <laughs> um, and basically, the reception for this was terrible, and we, I think everyone kind of agreed, like, this is an obvious kind of trick to try to ensure that Black Panther got in. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, like, the Oscars So White controversy a couple years ago, like, it was going to look really bad if Black Panther didn't make it in. Spoiler, I made it in, and we're going to talk but, about but it. <laughs> also, I mean, certainly the the Oscars So White controversy, in addition to the fact that the Oscars just doesn't recognize this category film, like superhero movies, the yeah. fact that there's, like, a really great one in that category, and we know that it's just not going to get picked for that reason. Double negative yep. with the <laughs> history of not-so-subtle racism, right? I mean, it's like, yep. yeah. So it's like, let's create a whole new category to make sure it gets in. It's like, or why don't you just nominate it like it deserves in the first place? You know, yeah. Like, yep. It was really obnoxious. Um, But what keeps happening with all these changes is that the Academy, at least I guess a little bit to their credit, hears everyone complaining about it and then drops the idea. So a month later, they said, great, we're not having that category because everyone hates it so much. Then we have December where Kevin Hart is announced as the Oscars host. Um, December is pretty late to announce who your host is for this. Um, Yeah, so how many people said no before Kevin Hart said yes? (laughs) Well, so we found out recently The Rock was their first choice. Um, They really wanted him to do it, and he had 
what movie what it was like the next jumanji movie or filming for something yeah Yeah. (laughs) so we couldn't do it um yeah they probably asked a lot of people um so kevin hartz announces the host he but i guess what had kind of been happening even before he got announced is that um this keeps happening with disney properties (laughs) that people find old tweets from this person that are really bad. Um, So Kevin Hart immediately gets this backlash from old tweets where he had these homophobic um, statements and kind of jokes, and it was not a good look at all. Um, Yeah. I just wrote... (laughs) I mean, this is... We, again, talked about... Like, this happened with... um, What's his name from Guardians of the Galaxy? James Gunn. And yes, James Gunn. Like this keeps happening with mm-hmm. ABC and Disney, and so not great. All the Bachelor contestants. All yeah. Of them. <laughs> yeah. So maybe check- anyone who's ever tweeted. Like, yeah. yeah. So, Twitter has sunk so many people, and and not not blaming the platform. People should not say those things. <laughs> yeah. 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 So ABC check tweets before you hire people <laughs> is the lesson learned here. Um, but so after the backlash of that, um, ABC basically told Kevin Hart, you can either apologize for these tweets or you can back out and not be the host. And Kevin Hart decided not to apologize and to back out as Oscar host. Um, he did end up like apologizing anyway. Um, he, and then there was this weird bit where Ellen DeGeneres had Kevin Hart on her show. How do we feel about that? That was... Not great. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have anything worse? No, I just, it's just funny because Kevin Hart claimed he had already apologized, but then, but yet no matter what, it still came across as a refusal. And then you have Ellen who is, you know, one of America's sweethearts, right? I mean, it's like, who doesn't like Ellen? And she gets up there and, and defends him in a way that I, I, it kind of not swayed me, but I was kind of like, wow, like. I want a friend like Ellen that would stand up for me. But then she's like, I called the Academy and said that they should invite you back. I'm like, oh, no, what? No, 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 no. Like, don't do that because yeah. we're already past this. We're trying to look for, like, the next host. Like, we, we can't – there's no chance that Kevin Hart – one, that he would do it, but all, certainly that the Academy would, would go back on it. And it, there was this weird, like, two-day period where it's like, is he being considered? But he was never being considered again to, to be brought back. But I thought it was yeah. interesting for Ellen to do that. Uh, she really put herself out there for Kevin Hart, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and especially with her being part of the, you know, LGBTQ community yeah. that like That's what those carried real jokes weight. were like, against her. <laughs> I don't, yeah. it's, yeah, very strange. Um, yeah. So that all happens. And basically how this all got resolved is that the Oscars decided we're not going to have a host at all, yep. <laughs> um, which hasn't happened in 30 years. Um, it didn't go over well then. <laughs> so we can really expect it not to go over well now. Um, yeah. I think what we can expect, um, people have talked a lot about like the Avengers getting together again, because Disney owns ABC. So, um, they have all those people on lock and under contract, so they'll probably force him to show up. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Then we have a few other. <laughs> it keeps coming. Um, in January, um, the Academy announced that only two of the original song nominees by the end of January, they announced, no, nope, we're not going to do that. We'll let everyone perform. Um, Limo Mall, who came out against that. Um, so anyway, a lot of um, celebrities had some sway there. Um, they're going to do 90-second versions of the songs. Um, 
So yeah, lots of efforts to try to make this whole ceremony shorter. Um, and then the latest kerfuffle is that in February, so not not that long ago, the Academy decided we're going to cut four categories from the live telecast. So these awards, instead of presenting them live while everyone is watching, they would present them during the commercial breaks and then have like a shortened clip of the acceptance speech later on in the show. Um, those four categories were cinematography, film editing, and honestly, those two are the most ridiculous because you can't make a film without either of those two things happening. Yeah. <clears throat> um, live action shorts and hairstyling and makeup. Um, I watch all the shorts <laughs> every year, yeah. but it seems like an obvious choice to me if you're trying to shorten things. You could cut out all the shorts, put them in a different ceremony, and that would be fine. Yeah. But these other ones are pretty instrumental to the making of the film. Yeah, it seems weird that you're going to have an award show that celebrates filmmaking and cut out the things that are the most essential to filmmaking. Yep. <laughs> so. It's, I, have, I have a whole thing about this. I, I like. <laughs> for I rant I have long ranted about how um, directors often get too much credit for what a cinematographer does. Like mm-hmm. a director is obviously crucial and they're they're involved in everything from even the way they're directing performances to the way the production is run. I mean this is the leader on the production to make sure everything is even like being on budget and on time and all, you know, all these things but also like making sure the vision is realized. But oftentimes people will talk about films uh, this happens a lot in Spielberg movies. We're like, oh man, that was beautiful shot. The way Spielberg did this and this. I'm like, that's not Spielberg. That's actually yeah. his cinematographer. Like, yeah. And it drives me crazy how little credit they get. So the fact that that was a that was among the cut ones was just like, oh, of course. <laughs> Let's cut out the cinematographer, the person who's who's literally the one that's creating the picture, like making yep. them. And and editor, I would say the same thing. I often like in uh, editors to like sculptors who are who are just given this like big piece of clay, and it's like. The rhythm of editing is – it's one of the few things in the process I think screenwriting is there as well where it's like if this is done – like if this isn't done to an exceptional job, it will be bad. Like it, it, you have to do – you have to have the best of the best. There's no covering bad editing. There's no covering bad screenwriting, right? Both of those things have to be good for the movie to be good. And so to cut those things, I'm like, oh, come on. Like this is absurd. So thankfully, yeah, the Academy once yeah. again <laughs> – Reversed it. <laughs> <sighs> yep. Yeah. So they reversed it. I, I just wanted to add to there were a lot of interesting like conspiracies on why it was these four particular categories. Because yeah. they did say at the time they announced the popular film Oscar, they said one of the things we're gonna try is cutting some of the categories, but we didn't know which. Mm-hmm. Um the head of the academy is a cinematographer, and so there's something some people saying, well, like that's his category, he's trying to be the bigger man and cut that yeah. one. There's some people saying, well, two of these things, Alfonso Cuaron is very likely to win, and he's going to win Best Director, so there's maybe the opportunity that he'll get to speak anyway. Then there's the conspiracy. (laughs) Then all four of these categories, none of them have a Disney movie as a nominee, which is my favorite conspiracy. (laughs) So, (laughs) and all the others do, except for one. So... Disney wanting their representation <laughs> during the Oscars. They're not going to cut out anything with Black Panther or <laughs> any, so anyway. Um, but it's reversed, and so we'll still have a long ceremony. Yay. And I don't know, Stafford. Like, what can they do to actually make 
Yeah. The Oscars well, better. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. No, it's a great, it's a great, I, I love that they've, they've, so I'm, I'm conflicted here because on the one hand, it's like, I want them to have a backbone, like have a vision, commit to it, see through that you think this is going to make it better. But on the other hand, I'm grateful that they're being open enough to reconsider their terrible ideas, you know? <laughs> so it's like, oh, good. But it's also like, wait, but you guys are the same. You just keep coming up with more terrible ideas that you're willing to undo because of backlash. Um, like, how about this? The Oscars are bad because um, Lady Bird won zero Oscars last year. Okay. Five nominees and zero wins. Maybe it's bad because we're, we're awarding the wrong m- movies regularly. Like, The Shape of Water yeah. won Best Picture last year. We're not even a year <laughs> removed from that. And that has aged very, very poorly. Like, very poorly. Like, how yeah, about yeah. the problem isn't necessarily the length of the telecast, but the yeah. Academy itself? How about the problem yep. is the voting body is hardly representative <laughs> of of cinema culture, uh, cinema values, cinema criticism, uh, and far be it, or let alone the people watching, the actual audience that they're trying to get. I mean, they need to look inward. They need, they need to change the voting body, which I know they've done recently to diversify it, but they just haven't yeah. done nearly enough. Because it's they need to diversify it just way more, and and not ju- yeah. I mean cultural diversity certainly, age certainly, background. Uh, they need to change everything about who is involved in this voting process. To me, that's the problem. It's totally. not do we have all the songs? Do should we cut these categories? <laughs> yes, the telecast could be shorter. But if you're nominating the movies that people are interested in, like wanting to see, and if you're awarding the movies that actually deserve it, the people will come. The people will watch. Yeah. That's that's yeah. my that's my whole thing. I completely agree. And I think there's a secondary problem because I agree with them. But I also think that they're trying to... So like when Titanic brought in all of those um, viewers, so that was a very popular film and drew people in. But that was a time where everyone watched live TV because you didn't have Netflix, you didn't have Hulu, you didn't have a million other options that you could be watching rather than what was on like the four network channels. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's just not possible. So I feel like the Academy really needs to to find its niche, figure out what people are actually caring about the Oscars and watching it no matter what, and really try to cater more to those people, even if that means bringing in, you know, not 50 million people anymore. Mm-hmm. But, They're never yeah, going to get I, 50 million again. That's unheard no. of. Right? Like, that's just, yeah. that's never happening. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, like, I'm torn on the Oscars because on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, the reason why viewership is down is because they're not nominating popular movies that people want to see nominated. And I think that's a fair criticism. But on the other hand, I'm like, but is it their obligation to nominate the best films regardless of their popularity? Um, And yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know what the right answer is, honestly. And I think we're going to find as we talk about some of the best picture nominees, there are, there was an effort to put in stuff that was more popular this Mm -hmm. year, but is it good? (laughs) Like that then Uh, becomes the issue. I don't know. I mean, I think that's a poignant question that Courtney poses about like, you know, best is the the best film is not always the most popular one. But like to Shannon's point, we are about to talk about some movies that that were both critically (laughs) unpopular and also didn't make a ton of money. And what the heck are they doing getting nominated? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect segue. (laughs) Let's talk about some of them. Um, I've been talking a lot. Stoffer, do you want to pick one of yours? Sure. So you, pick you one of the eight. You, you you gave me the opportunity to pick. Um, yeah. <laughs> now I should be clear to pick second. Courtney got she had like the. <laughs> had the okay, I had to pick there. first because I I Courtney have seen the seen fewest two. of all of, of all of these. <laughs> so, so Courtney, you picked That's Black Panther. Funny. Yeah. 
and I feel pretty confident about summing that one up. So <laughs> should we stay with the eight R? That yeah, might let's, be yeah, let's with start there. with. Go ahead. So okay, we've got Roma, the favorite, A Star Is Born, Green Book, Black Klansman, Vice, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Black Panther. We can go in whatever order. <laughs> um, I'll let you two go first because yeah. I have only two of those. So. Great. Yeah. Okay. How many of those eight are based on a true story? Okay, let's go. Well, Black Panther. Just kidding. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely Wakanda. Roma. Yes. Roma. <laughs> um, yeah, all of all of yours and Roma's as yeah. well. So and half. Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So five. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's five of the eight. That's... That's kind of nuts. Yeah, yeah that is I didn't nuts. think of it in those terms. Well, I'll, I'll, you want me to start? Uh, pick one. Is that what you asked? Yeah. 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 I'm gonna whichever start one, one you want. The one that I re- referenced as like not wasn't particularly critically acclaimed, and it didn't like kill at the box office either. And that is Adam McKay's Vice. So this is Adam McKay, written and directed by Adam McKay, who did um, The Big Short, um, which he won an Oscar for for screenplay, if I recall. Or was nominated. I want to say yeah. Okay. I think he won. I think, I think he, he won. won. Yep. Uh, he also did Anchorman. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, yeah, similar to another director of a, one of the films I'm going to talk about, he has a comedy background and has moved into the, the kind of the world of the Oscars. So Vice is, is the story, the biopic of uh, former Vice President Dick Cheney. And it tells the story of Cheney's rise to power from a lowly electrical lineman in Wyoming to Vice President of <laughs> these United States. Um, and it stars Christian Bale in the lead role. You have Amy Adams, uh, Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell, uh, and regrettably Jesse Plemons, who deserves better uh, than both this movie and the role he was <laughs> given. Um, and uh, yeah, this is, a mo- again, it, not that many people saw it. It wasn't like hugely successful. It was very mixed in their critical reviews. And this is a classic Oscar nominee that someone writing on their laurels uh, from the big short and picking subject matter that, quite frankly, liberal Hollywood. And I, I, I say that as I, I, I lean left of center personally, but there is a there is a little bit of eye rolling sometimes with the way the Academy treats some of these subject matter. And yeah. I think this is one of those where it's just like, give me all of the evil Dick Cheney biopics you can give me, you know, and we will throw you all the awards, you know, it's like, here's the hardware. Uh, but they didn't stop to consider whether or not it was a good movie, which it was not. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a film that his, uh, I, and again, I will try to refrain from editorializing too much here, but uh, here I go. Uh, it had such an odd rhythm and beat to it. Um, I feel like there was like a s- series of scenes that they're really excited about doing. Um, a lot of those scenes had George W. Bush eating, um, but, um, <laughs> but the, these scenes, it, it was just kind of like, let's get Christian Bale to do one of these insane weight transformations. Let's just throw loads of prosthetics on him. And he looks great. And I will say yeah. one of the positives of this, I do like his performance. I don't think it's requires a ton. Um, but I, I do think he did a good job. Uh, and I typically like Christian Bale. He's probably going to win for best actor. Uh, is that right, Shannon? He's odds on favorite. No, he's not. We'll talk about it. <laughs> he's not the odds-on favorite? Oh. Well, I'll just say, I I think with the amount of war- awards that Rami Malek has won oh, at this point, that right. he's now the favorite. Yeah. You're right. Christian Bale yeah. would be second, I would okay. say, but it's a little up in the air. Okay. But Rami's got the momentum. <laughs> this yeah. is just, again, I, I'll, 
I don't want to say any more about Vice than I have to, other than if this is the <laughs> classic, the Academy, I, so many people in the Academy had to have voted on this movie without having seen it. I, 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 I yeah. firmly believe that because the fact that it was nominated for eight Academy Awards, that's just absurd. Um, and but, it came yeah. really late in the season, too. Mm-hmm. So it's actually possible people voted for it without seeing it. Yeah. No, um, it played after a lot of other films did. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'll just add, I agree with that assessment. Um, <laughs> also, I think we might need to start splitting the acting categories into <clears throat> people who are playing real life people and yes. people who oh, are playing original characters. Agreed. Because I'm always frustrated. I Christian Bale does a great job, but I'm never going to be as impressed with that because it feels like somewhat of a caricature or you at least have something to base your acting on. Mm-hmm. Whereas people, it, I still think Ethan Hawke gave the best performance this year. I'll say it until did. I die. He did. Yeah. <laughs> but a totally original character. You have to take just a screenplay and you don't have all this footage to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's just, I think, a whole lot more that goes into having... T- to create something from scratch rather totally than, agree. you know, watching I, a ton of I CNN joke. and figuring out who Dick Cheney is. <laughs> I, know. I joke about uh, Bradley Cooper's, you know, portrayal of this Jackson main character, which is not based on any yeah. one person. It's not a true story. <laughs> uh, and I joke about his spray tan or his bronzer yeah. uh, and his, his <laughs> Sam Elliott impression. But the fact is, is I, the degree of difficulty of coming up with this character, especially when you're Bradley yeah. Cooper, is very recognizable. We see him as a very yeah. certain type of person. And to do something very different that's not based on any, like you said, on, on archival footage or things that you can watch, the degree of difficulty yeah. is much worse. And so we either need to separate that or just knock points for people that are portraying real life characters. That's the, I mean, it's an yeah. easier thing to do, even if you do it well, and you should receive demerits for doing so. Yeah. yeah. I agree. <laughs> Any more to say on that? No, all done. Great. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. That was also my least favorite of the bunch, and that's saying something because I have some passionate feelings about another <laughs> film in this. But yeah, um, since you brought up Bradley Cooper, I'm going to talk about A Star Is Born. Yes. Um, yeah, I I really loved <laughs> this film. I think um, I went on Stafford's podcast and we talked about our top 10 films of the year. This one was just outside of it for me because I think A Star is Born is a perfect, the first half of it is perfect. I think it's so beautiful and great. And then it starts to lose something at the end. It goes a little bit off the rails. And that's my one criticism of it that I wish both halves kind of maintain that same quality. Um, but this film is directed by Bradley Cooper and... I mean, I get some criticism from it being his passion project. Um, he wrote it, directed it, acts in it, um, learned how to play the guitar and sing and all of these things for it. Um, so, yeah, it's really his baby. Um, I have to say, though, I was so impressed with Bradley Cooper. I guess I'll get to that. Um, so it's about Jackson Maine, so played by Bradley Cooper, who is a musician who's... I kind of this bluesy musician who's been around for a little while. Um, he's an alcoholic. I don't think that's a spoiler. It comes up pretty early in the film. Um, he's kind of like nearing the end of his career. Um, he ends up in, I guess it's a drag bar one night and finds um, Allie, who's played by Lady Gaga. Um and discovers her and she's got this incredible voice and um, basically thinks I need to kind of take her under my wing and, um, you know, she's at a point where 
she wants to be a singer, but it's kind of given up on it. And he really pulls her into the spotlight. He kind of has this instant attraction to her and has her like come along on his tour. And then one night he, you know, drags her onto the stage <laughs> and has them sing this song that they wrote, um, which is Shallow, which everyone's probably heard a million times if you're listening to this podcast. I still have not. You haven't heard Shallow? I'm so sheltered. Should we sing it? Cornea. We can sing it. No, I was gonna I was gonna <laughs> suggest that it. we sing it you because that's always my joke is sing trying to get Shannon. you to No. I do not have the range for that. I can't sing in general, but I really don't have the range for that song. Um anyway, uh that's really the best point of the movie is seeing her really come alive singing this song. Then after that point, people start to notice Sally, her career takes off and kind of she goes up, 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 and is rising. She's the star who was born. And as Jackson's career is kind of petering out. Um, what else to say about it? Like I said, I expected Lady Gaga to be good. And for this being her first like film that she's been in, um, she's really incredible. But the fact that Bradley Cooper, like you were saying, kind of embodies this persona, changed his voice. <laughs> um, he sounds, so Sam Elliott's in it too and plays his brother and he does a great job. But once you learn that they're brothers, you're like, oh, that's the reason he's doing this voice. It's like the Sam Elliott voice. Um, you know, he actually learned how to play, like his dedication to that character and how much I actually cared about him um, was great. Um, this film was based on, so there, this is the fourth iteration of A Star is Born? Yeah. <laughs> this is, okay, I have not seen this movie, yeah. so full disclosure there. <laughs> but I personally am against a movie being nominated when it is the fourth remake, just because I feel like at that point it's more of an adaptation <laughs> than an original. Yeah. I don't know. It's... So each one, I haven't seen the other three. <laughs> That's my full disclosure. Um, I I think each one of them, though, just reading about them is kind of different. The music mm. for this one is original. And from what I've heard um, from a coworker who's seen a bunch of other versions, is that this one actually makes you care about the male character, the male lead in mm. it more than any of the others. Yeah. <laughs> where... Yeah, yeah. It just it just seems like it's getting a lot of credit when basically it's had three yeah. iterations of the same story to, to figure right. out what goes, what's wrong and what's right that's and fair. put it all together. So, and but I yeah. wonder if that's why. And that was going to be my other note that as far as its chances of winning, um, this was a front runner like super early on, Came but for some reason heat. it was going to sweep. Yeah. It felt like, and now yeah. they might win. Zero. It's dropped off entirely. But like a shooting star, it has burned out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yes, the star was um, born and it died. The star was born and <laughs> um, I think it'll win for Shallow probably, but I Bradley Cooper. <laughs> so I watched the Oscar nominations live early in the morning whenever they come out, and the biggest shocker was Bradley Cooper not being nominated for director, mm. and he went on some talk show and was like. I was very sad about it. And on one hand, I'm like, oh, poor you, Bradley Cooper, who's hot and successful. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and now poor can you, sing but. And play guitar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm like, oh, but this is a good film that he's a better director. Like, he did a better job than Adam McKay, for example, in Vice. Yeah. Sure. So I'm torn. Um,. Only other things of note is that Sean Penn and Paul Schrader have both recently come out 
telling people to vote for this film. Not going to move the so needle, like, unfortunately. No. Bradley Cooper just didn't play the Oscar game of like going to all the rewards, being on talk shows and things yeah. to yeah. like build up the interest of it. It's interesting um, how much that matters here, too. The, the, the campaigning, it's right? It's stupid. I mean, we saw Gary Oldman <laughs> did it just blatantly and with absolutely yeah. no shame. Uh, just yeah. shook every Academy member's hands and told them how badly he wanted to win, and so they gave him mm-hmm. an award. Uh, Bradley Cooper, it, it's worth noting what you said, he, he was reluctant to do the, the full campaign, but also he was reluctant to talk about how he related personally to the story with his own history of substance abuse. In fact, he, he, yeah. jumped, he shied away from that. Every time someone even tried to bring it up, it was clear that it was like out of bounds. It's one of the things that his publicist yeah. would probably tell interviewers beforehand, like don't ask them about this, you know? And it's kind of sad to think, like, if he had been willing to open up about that, which I don't think anyone should have to talk about that if they don't want to. But the fact is, is had he come out and done the whole song and dance, he probably would have gotten nominated. Like, if he sold that story, he would have gotten nominated. And that shouldn't matter. The work should stand on its own. Like, (laughs) it shouldn't matter. It's all PR for for the Oscars. It's insane. Uh, All right. Okay. To another one? Yes. Go Courtney. All right. I'm going to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody next. (laughs) I'm so excited. Um, So I watched this for the first time last night. I have been resisting. We got a Um, hot take coming in. (laughs) Hot take. Um, Okay. So recap of the movie. It's about Freddie Mercury primarily and Queen. And basically follows Freddie Mercury's story from uh, the time he joins the band until... Not quite his death, but like the Live Aid concert is pretty much the end. So, um, yeah, hot take on this. It's not that good. Um, (laughs) It was really fun because of the music. Like, Queen's music is great. Yes. But we had a whole episode talking about it that you didn't listen to. Yeah. Queen's music is great. But that was like the only good thing. (laughs) Okay, that's not true. Rami Malek, like, I, I was impressed with his acting. Um, I was impressed with actually everybody's acting, but the problem that I had with it is that, first of all, it doesn't tell a compelling story. Um, <laughs> it glosses over a lot of, like, the trials that the band goes through together. It kind of, like, you can tell that the surviving members of Queen had a lot of input into how they were portrayed. Um, and, yeah, and, like, even their stance on, like, their portrayal of Freddie Mercury is weird because on the one hand it's like, he was kind of an asshole, but on the other hand, it's like, but he was so perfect and beautiful, and we cannot never touch him. And it's just like, okay, but which one is it? You, yeah. like, I don't know it can be both, but they didn't go into a lot of depth with the movie. They didn't really fully explore the themes that they were trying to pursue. Um, the whole movie was just it. It felt just like a timeline of like, and here's what happened next, and then what happened next, like and then what happened VH next. Like one behind the music. Yes, it felt like <laughs> a high production value documentary. Um, I will say, though, the Live Aid concert reenactment, I really liked. Yeah. Um, the cinematography that at that great. part was great. Um, like, that was really, really fun. But at the same time, also, like, you had them singing, like, We Are the Champions, and you had people in the audience, like, hugging you. It's supposed to be this very tender moment. But we, like... Don't we like in the movie? We never explored how they wrote "We Are the Champions." We never really got a lot of insight into how people were reacting to them, other than just screaming crowds who sang along. And yeah, it it was lacking. I felt. And also, Freddie Mercury either didn't know he was HIV positive or hadn't told Queen that he was HIV positive. So mm-hmm. they 
rearranged bits of this story yeah. oh, to yeah. give it more of an arc, which I guess the band also you're never allowed broke up. to do. They but... never broke up. They never had a reunion. Yeah. There's no apology. There's nothing like that. And that yeah. is like the climax of the movie. That is the main pivotal yeah. scene. Is this reconciliation yeah. that did not happen? <laughs> yeah. I also felt like what you were saying about the end. There's this part where Freddie goes to his dad. He like really, really wants to be part of the oh, Live yeah. Aid concert, goes to his dad and said, see, I'm trying to make good. And it was supposed to connect back to this earlier thing in the story where the dad mm-hmm. was telling him to make good. But there wasn't enough about Freddie like, trying to be this humanitarian yeah. for that to make sense. Well, and all that we really I, saw of his dad, like, their relationship, too, like, they kind of, it resolves at the end yeah. when he tells him he's going to be in Live Aid. And I, I'm like, what? Because it makes no sense. The whole time, like, the father's very disapproving of everything that he does, and then all of a sudden he's in Live Aid, and it's just like, everything's good. What? It yeah. was, it got whiplash. So, so I hate worth, to say. It's worth noting this movie's made, like, over $700 million. Worldwide. Yeah, and I should I should say like my so my husband's family loves this movie. Has, yeah. They've been trying to get us to watch it like since it came out. Um, so we finally did it, and I'm like, I get why they like it. I get why everybody likes it because it's fun. Like, yeah. but it is just a high production value documentary, and does I I don't know I don't know if that Not deserves even a documentary, to win best a reenactment. A, a, yes, it's like yeah. a reenactment <laughs> scenes that would be in a documentary. That's true. Yeah. Which I mean, like, are largely the best parts of documentaries. I feel, but you know, Ooh. it. <laughs> <Hot take>. <laughs> <laughs> Really? <laughs> no. That's not. I'm just <laughs> okay. <kidding>. Thank you. <laughs> like that's not true. <laughs> um, now I forgot. <laughs> well, I, I think this is interesting. Though, the, the fact that we talked about, like, you know, is it the Academy's responsibility to nominate the very best films, regardless of how popular they were? Well, here's an example of one that made a ton of money and is very popular and critically mm-hmm, did not do well, and it's nominated for best picture. Uh, and several yeah. other noms, which is really surprising. Now, this is more rare. I feel like this is more the exception. They usually don't do this. But this one made it in. And it's like... Yeah. I, I and it won the Golden Globe. It won the Golden Globe. But the... Yeah. I'm I mean, the Holly- you write a check to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association and you can get yourself a Golden Globe. Yeah. So it's like... <laughs> I don't know. But it... Yeah, I mean, the majority of the people I've talked to enjoyed this movie because they enjoyed the experience of hearing, to uh, Courtney's point, Queen's music. It's it's a it, yeah. Look, I saw this movie the first time and I, I had a blast in the theater because of how much I loved the the mute the song. You know, like everything with the montage of every song or writing or in the recording studio. I had a blast because of that. But I also recognized mm-hmm. that the narrative was a complete mess. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a complete unmitigated disaster. Yeah. But I still enjoyed myself because of the music, uh, knowing yeah. that the movie itself was garbage. And for yeah. other people that maybe don't care as much about the narrative working, they just if they walk out having enjoyed it and having a good time, then that's a good and that's great. All the more power to that. Yeah. You know, that's another way to experience a film. And there's nothing I don't begrudge that. But for the Academy to award that is really yeah. interesting. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, we should talk a little bit about the controversy around that. That's film, yep, yep. So, Brian <laughs> <Which controversy>? Singer, <laughs> all Singer. of the controversy. I'm I'm looking at Shannon's screen right now. She has an all caps. <laughs> Brian Singer is a horrible person. That's how my notes too, usually are. This isn't like yeah. just recent allegations, although there have been yeah, no. articles that that are rehashing them. But this guy's, yeah, he's been a known bad person <laughs> for many years. For, yes, <sighs> quite a long time. Yeah. But yeah, so he was involved in the. Production and then there was well he was the director he was the director and then he but wasn't he like not showing up for work and stuff 
Yeah, and he claims what was it was like some sort family, of family emergency. Family yeah. 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 So he's still mm. the listed director because he's credited for doing what, like sixty percent of the film yeah. or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So including the entire live he... eight sequence. That was the very yeah. first yeah. thing they shot in the movie. I mean Yeah. Yeah. And then was he fired or did he just step away no, eventually? He was fired. Do you, oh, fired. great. Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, don't show up he to work. He was fired yeah. uh, for, for not showing up to work, okay? <laughs> just, did, you know, just stopped showing up to work. Got fired, <laughs> rightfully so. Still gets credit because the DGA rules, you know, the Directors Guild, because uh, he directed, you know, over 50% of the film. Yeah. And his contract stipulated that he was going to get, he got like a $20 million kicker or something that was involved with the overall gross. And I think that's probably up for dispute right now. They're trying to, in the court, I'm sure courts will, will probably figure that out. But the idea mm-hmm. that this man stopped showing up to work, th- this is nothing to do with the fact that this is uh, a known sexual deviant, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Like, putting that aside, he just stopped showing up to work and is still going to get paid and credited, yeah. which is amazing. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, and then on top of that, I was looking up the... Um, article but it looks like it was the atlantic like after it won the golden globe now there's more articles coming out um people who have been sexually abused by brian singer and so yeah yeah um i'll i'll mention though what's funny is that so with rami malik being the front runner there's a case for a lot of people so rami malik is the one who i guess got brian singer out because he wasn't showing up or whatnot. And so some people are saying, well, he's almost the hero in this story because he got the director out (laughs) and pushed the project through and made it happen. And you have the same with um, the editing, which is very, very bad in the movie, but the editor is winning awards because people say, look at what trash he had to work with because the director switched halfway through. You have all of these things going wrong and he still made a movie. (laughs) Like, it's... Through all, you know, the um, opposite, uh, I, with all the problems associated with it, like, they at least put the film together, which I don't think is worthy <laughs> of awarding. But anyway. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Should we move on? Yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to get into Green Book? Yeah. It, uh, Am I yeah. up? <laughs> yes, you are. So Green Book. I got a list on this. Here we go. Nominated, uh, Green Book nominated for five Academy Awards this go around. This is directed by Peter Fairley of the Fairley Brothers. Uh, this was the, his first single director away from, uh, director. I guess this would be his solo directorial debut because uh, usually he does it with his brother, um, which they had done movies like Dumb and Dumber and There's Something About Mary. Probably the two po- <laughs> most popular films that they've done. Um, and Green Book, <laughs> Green Book. I'm very classy, like obviously, <laughs> the, I don't know. High-end films. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is the Oscar fair that you'd expect. Um, yep. <laughs> so, th- but now this is another one of those quote unquote based on a true story, mm-hmm. right? Which is, you know, yeah. very, very liberal, loose way of, uh, applying those terms. Um, but this is set in 1962, and it tells the story of Dr. Uh, Don Shirley, uh, who is uh, played by Mahershala Ali, and he's an African-American classical and jazz pianist. And it tells the story of him and his relationship with his bodyguard slash driver uh, named Tony Vallelonga, played by um, Isildur's heir, Aragorn, um, or <laughs> um, and uh, as they tour through the Deep South. So... 
So as a musician, a, a, a very talented musician and su certainly successful up to this point, he's doing this Deep South tour in 1962. So you can imagine the backdrop of what happens here. Um, this is a film I will say personally I saw with my parents and it was interesting because I saw it opening night. The theater I was in was clearly buzzing. They loved this movie. <laughs> they laughed in all the spots that fairly wanted you to laugh. Uh, and they, you know, would, they cried where they where he wanted them to cry. And I remember leaving that theater being like, "Wow, that was a crowd pleaser." There's no doubt no that doubt. this is a crowd pleaser. Now, because we're dealing with, uh, you know, the subject of race, especially in you know in an incredibly racist period of our country's history, uh, you're gonna have controversy that comes with that, no matter how well you did with it. Especially if you're a white director, which again, it's. Uh, I, that controversy is, is absolutely deserved and should be examined. I think what's interesting here is the story of two people from completely different backgrounds not understanding each other and then coming together by the end is, is a story that we should be able to tell without, I feel like, putting it under the type of microscope that I guess would treat it like well, I'm trying to be tactful the way I put this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's put it this way. I, I feel like there are sequences of this film that clearly did not have the subtlety or the tact required to get the message across. And I think those scenes should absolutely be criticized and talked about and dissected. Um, the backlash to this film, because of, certainly because of those scenes, is almost as if people are accusing this of being an outright racist film. It's almost like it's being treated like it's this really bad thing. And I feel like we need to be able to make a distinction between something that had took an earnest attempt at telling a story about people from differing backgrounds working together to try to understand each other and being together by the end versus something that's like actually a racist piece of cinema that should be, you know, absolutely called out for that and is deplorable and all those things. And so I feel like I, f I feel like the, the backlash is not that it wasn't deserved, but the severity of it and the way the tone of it has m caused me to feel a backlash to the backlash if that makes sense <laughs> and so i find myself defending a film which is interesting because as a white male yeah like here i am <laughs> not, i should not have a voice in this conversation and i recognize that um but like i feel like should we really criticize the attempt at trying to tell this story I know Shannon, you might, you're, you might be on the other side of this, so I'd love to hear. <laughs> and I saw Courtney reading all my notes. <laughs> that <laughs> no, I was expecting to like fight you on this, but I I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, I keep running into this weird situation with Green Book because I feel like I even just the other day, like Brittany texted me and said, "Have you seen Green Book? I loved it." Like that's what I keep getting from people, and I find myself playing this dance of like. Oh, it was very charming and the acting was really good, but I also find it really problematic and I don't want to be the buzzkill that like makes people not like this movie who and they're obviously touched by it. Um, but I think it's problematic. <laughs> um, here's I got a list of things that have come up with this film too. Some of it relevant to like the issues with race that are happening in the film, but um, others aside from that, but on one hand, so it came out pretty early on that no one in the film had contacted the family of Don Shirley, yeah. which I do think is a problem. No, that's, yeah. It's yeah, that's a, huge a huge, yeah, like if he's, you know, the other lead in this film and 
I don't... If they had contacted the family and I think had gotten more about his backstory and tried to weave that in, I would be a lot more okay with this film. So that's one thing. Um, I guess it's just hard when you're comparing things that you think should be nominated and things that shouldn't. I saw a lot of really good movies this year that I felt dealt more realistically with race in our country and i just liked them more um so for example like blind spotting i really loved the hate you give i loved and both of those films when i was done really made me think wow like what can i be doing better have i said things that could be interpreted in the wrong way oh look at what you know black people in america are dealing with and really like gave me a lot to think about and not necessarily it didn't make me feel good about myself all the time. It made me really think, how do I need to change or be better? With this film, I feel like it really just makes you think, oh, wow, like if we all just work together, race racism will be over. Yeah. Um, and there are some parts, um, my big thing is that I don't think Vigo's racism, in it, and not Vigo's, but the characters, racism is really dealt with. There's a part at the beginning of the film where these two black men come into, I don't know if they're servicing the refrigerator or yeah. something. Yeah. His wife gives them each a glass of water. He takes the glasses when they've left and throws them in the garbage because he doesn't want something that these men have touched. Mm-hmm. And that's just never dealt with. You don't see him like realize, wow, that was a terrible thing I did. Um, so if there was more of that change in him, then I would also be more okay with this film. I just think it needed to go a step further to really recognize that was wrong. I should have done something different, <laughs> acted in a different way. I totally, I, there's nothing you said that yeah. I disagree with, actually. I think that's yeah. all 100% <laughs> true. Um, but I think that the... Good, what a nice argument. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I think the criticisms that I'm like feeling backlash to the backlash to are, are way more uh, severe yeah. and overreactive than what you gave. Because you're exactly right. This is, this is not going to tackle uh, yeah. race relations with the nuance of blind spotting or the hate you give. Uh, or even Black Klansman, which is not subtle. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really liked Black Klansman. But um, <laughs> here I am liking the movies that aren't subtle. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I, th- I think what you said was good. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Great. I, anymore? I don't think it should be nominated, other- to be clear. So that, that is, yeah. I defend the film. I defend it as in we should be allowed to tackle movies. Not every movie yeah. has to be blind spotted or that you give. I do That's think, totally though, to your fair. point, if they're going to show him having problems with, you know, the black service workers touching his glasses, you know, then in order we should definitely uh, revisit that and tie that in. If, if you're going to present that level, right? Like we can't have a redeemed character without like actually revisiting that. I totally agree. And so it's yeah. certainly not a, a perfect film. Um, but the level, the level of outrage is, is almost like, uh, this is like birth of a nation or something. It's like, come on. Yeah. No, it's fair. Um, just to mention really quickly. Um, so the man who wrote this, it is based on like his father. Um, Yeah. Nick Valalonga. Yeah. Nick Valalonga. Um, so there's some controversy about him having anti-Muslim tweets. So also not a good look. And then director Peter Fairley, there's an old interview where is a joke. Uh On movie sets, he said he would expose himself to yes. actors and actresses on the film. So both it, it's like all of this kind of built up to like make me not want this yeah, to not, happen. Yeah, not to belabor the point, so, but and, yeah. and certainly not to excuse the behavior of Peter Farrelly on past <laughs> sets because 
like there's I've heard people even defend that behavior as like, oh, is it like, no, that's like never good that's not to funny. do that. Like, <laughs> no. Exposing yourself well, on a movie set, no matter what situation you're in, is like not good. Um, but but there's also this like, I, I, I hate that this is the dirt that's dug in when something becomes nominated. And there are these anti-campaigns yeah. that are waged no, by rival fair. studios. And again, that's mm. these things should come to light. There's no oh. doubt. But it almost reminds me of a little bit. This isn't maybe quite the same. But I, I, I'm still sour about Zero Dark Thirty uh, not getting the love that it deserved. And Catherine Bigelow, who I think should have won Best Director that year, um, yeah. because they waged like an anti-campaign against that film because they felt like some of the mm. things that she'd... And, and not to say the criticism wasn't unfair, but there was clearly an anti-Zero Dark Thirty uh, yeah. campaign that was waged. It was just kind of like, oh, can we let these things just... Can we let yeah. the movie be. itself be the, <laughs> no. what we judge and not like pulling in all these outside things to try and sway people? Uh, yeah. And so I, I hate that, that that affects whether or not the the art itself is good or bad, is is these yeah. outside things. I don't know. It's, it's, tr- it's a tricky it's thing. It's gotten dirty this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. I'll go on to my next one. Um, I'll make this brief. <laughs> um, so the favorite is my next one. Um, I was really hoping this would be my favorite film of the year, just saying, be like, my favorite is the favorite every time. But <laughs> anyway, um, it's up there, though. I really do enjoy it. Um, I guess it's worth noting, so Roma and The Favorite both received 10 nominations, so they're the most nominated films of this year. Um, this one's directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who... Um, in the past, has directed some really strange films that I like. Um, I guess I've only... No. I've seen The Lobster. Anyway, they're always very strange. Um, so people have been saying this is his most... Um, oh, what's the right word? The one people can get on board with. <laughs> um, his most palatable film, maybe? I don't know quite the right mainstream, word. Mainstream, maybe? But, yeah, mainstream. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's true, but that doesn't mean this movie still isn't very strange and extremely uncomfortable at times. <laughs> um, so the film is about, so it's set in 18th century England. Um, Olivia Coleman plays Queen Anne, um, who's getting older, more frail. Um, so she has kind of her right-hand woman, I guess, is Rachel Weiss. Um, I'm not going to remember anyone's name in this, but Sarah. Lady Sarah is her name. Um, and Rachel Weiss is kind of like secretly leading the country um, because Queen Anne is sick. And then you have Emma Stone, who comes in as a servant. She was once like a higher class. Um, and I can't remember the reasoning behind it, but has been like demoted and is now working in as a servant in this castle. Um, so it, this is a great <laughs> I've been describing it as like mean girls, but in a British court, because it's really just these two women, so Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss, both trying to fight for the queen's affections to get what they want. Rachel Weiss trying to, she belongs to one of the parties and um, in the war wants to get her way. And Emma Stone is trying to finagle her way back to the top. <laughs> um, and so... I don't know that I want to say much more <laughs> about it than that um, because it takes some really surprising turns as to how they get the queen's affections. <laughs> and um, I'll just say that I thought this was really clever because it, um, 
so it's like a royal drama, but it's not really at all what you would think. The women are very catty. They say things that you wouldn't think would happen in a royal court. court. <clears throat> There's a scene, for example, where um, they're doing this dance, like they have a ball going on. Rachel Weiss and um, Taylor Swift's boyfriend, <laughs> I'm never going to remember, Joe Alwyn, um, start dancing, but then their moves kind of turn into this like break dance thing. <laughs> so he really takes some liberties with like, not everything is exactly time period, um, but it's really clever and interesting and says a lot about power and what we do to get it and i just like that all three of these women are nominated um they were all powerhouses in it um it's nice to see like three female leads all just kind of duking it out so i think i'm the only one who's seen this right so i have not seen it great so we can move on it's great okay (laughs) well we're gonna move on to one that i know everybody has seen that is black panther (laughs) the entire world Everybody. The entire yeah. world. <laughs> Most seen um, movie the of the year. Yes. Of the, certainly, right? Of the Best Picture nominees? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Black Panther. I'm not going to spend very long on this because, A, we've talked about it on a previous episode, yep. and, B, I have talked about it in even more detail on <laughs> pop pop culture. Um, so, yeah, if you want to get all the deets, go check that out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Black Panther is a Marvel movie. Um, it follows... T'Challa, um, who is the king of a fictional country in Africa called Wakanda. They have a reserve of vibranium, which is super powerful metal. Um, and they have all this technology as a result, but they are hiding from the world because they don't want imperialists coming and trying to take over their country. Um, so it's all about um, Michael B. Jordan is the villain, quasi-villain in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he is... Um, kind of an outsider but is Wakandan and is trying to um, basically get the vibranium reserves and send them out to um, like their people across the globe so that way um, black people can like rise up and fight oppressors and yeah and then Wakanda can reshape the world (laughs) in like this perfect utopian society so yeah uh, he does not win. Black Panther wins the end. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing that everybody has also seen Infinity War. So yes. Probably we know how that goes down for Black Panther, too. Yeah. Uh, oh, now I'm sad. <laughs> we can't talk about Infinity War. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, can, <laughs> Black Pan- <laughs> no, Black Panther is, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's especially good for a superhero movie. As much as I love Black Panther, though, I do question whether it should be in the best picture category. Can I tell you why I think it should be? Please do. (laughs) Change Um, my mind, Shannon. Because I feel like there's been some backlash about that. Like, is it good enough? So first, I think think Ryan Coogler's an amazing director, but I think he elevated a genre that didn't deserve to be as good as it is in this film. Like, the superhero genre is not known for its quality so much. I mean, the Marvel films are pretty good overall, but um, this one really elevates it. And like we were talking about with Green Book, I guess, there are a lot of films this year that um, dealt with the um, gentrification of Oakland. Um, We talked about this at length, like blind spotting uh, black clan, well, I guess not black clansmen, but still deals with issues of racism. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Thank you. Oakland as well, yeah. Yes, a lot of them. But I think this movie t- 
took that issue, but again, made it more like palatable for a general audience. Made to, it more global too. Yeah. Um, to, so it took this important message and made it into something that people actually wanted to watch. And blind spotting, you know, didn't make a ton of money, nor did Sorry to Bother You. And I think those movies, like, for their craft are better. But for Black Panther, like, if that's an issue you really want to talk about and get out there, like, it did a very good job mm-hmm. of, you know, <laughs> making that a little simpler to digest mm-hmm. and get it out there. Well, and it, it did a really good job of taking a message that could have been, like, this is a movie for black people. It's not. It's a movie for everybody because yeah. it has a, a message that's universal, which is what is our responsibility to each other. Yeah. Um, and you have to admire a filmmaker who can take a man in a cat suit and make it like a high <laughs> highbrow movie. Highbrow, you know. Hmm. Still a superhero movie. But yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Best of the Marvel the, films. Yeah, the last fight scene's a little silly, but the rest yeah. of it yeah. is like so good. Yeah. yeah. Fair. And a lot of like really powerful women in it too. That's true. I Akoya yeah. is great. They're all wonderful in it. They are. So I don't know. For representation too, I'm I'm glad it's in the mix. Yeah, same. Yeah. Cool. So am I up? Yeah. yeah. I don't right, know what's left. My last one. And then there's one oh, yeah. more, right? I yeah. Guess. So uh, I'll be quick. Black Klansman, uh, which I will say I'm surprised got nominated. I um, kind of am too. I didn't think the Academy would do it. I'm kind of glad it was. Um, this is directed by Spike Lee and co-written by Spike Lee and four other people that I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> but this is a Spike Lee joint. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Um, I, ha- I look at Spike Lee's filmography, and there are – I categorize two types of films. Films where Spike Lee is engaged and films where Spike Lee is not engaged. <laughs> the difference is good movies and not good movies. And he has made some, like, really not good movies. But when he is engaged, his, his like, vision and his passion, you can, like, feel, like, in the script, in the words, in the framing of the shots, in all these scenes. And you're like, oh, this is Spike Lee engaged. He cares, you know? This is I, I this is the most engaged I've seen Spike Lee since probably Twenty Fifth Hour with Edward Norton, which is another film of his that I enjoy very much, um, and that came out a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and so and and Spike Lee makes movies regularly, and so that tells you how long I feel like it's been since he's really made something special. And I, I and I do think this is special. It's not a, f- a perfect film. Um, it's not subtle at all. Uh, it's it's humor and uh, the humor and comedy don't always land but when they land it's pretty funny uh i saw this film in san francisco uh in a pretty mixed audience to be totally honest which was fun because you saw the things that different people were laughing at and you got this experience of like okay this is there people are responding to different things in this movie uh but to to, just to give a, a description of it this is another one of those uh based on a true story ish quote unquote uh the 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 basis of this is true but this movie, probably of all the ones we've talked about, has probably really ran the wildest with the concept and, and created something that was mostly fictional, but the, the base story is true, uh, and uh, which is a biographical crime uh, comedy drama about a man named Ron Stallworth, uh, who's an African-American police officer in Colorado Springs, uh, who manages to infiltrate and expose uh, the local chapter of the KKK in Colorado Springs. Uh, and it takes place in, uh, I didn't write down, but um, I want to say in like the early 1980s, late 1970s. I'm going to fact era. check you on that. Keep going. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, and so the story of Ron Stallworth in Colorado Springs 
is true. And and the, the, the gist of the story is that he calls the local chapter of the KKK and he uses his quote unquote white voice to sound <laughs> like he wants to join them and they send him materials. And, and then he starts going to meetups where he sends one of his fellow officers who's white, played by Adam Driver. Uh, I should actually back up. Ron Stallworth is played by John David Washington. Uh, and he would probably hate for me to say this, but that's the son of Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> and if you watch the movie, it will be very clear because their voices are uh, not dissimilar. <laughs> uh, in fact, it's a little distracting at first, but once he, once you get into the, enough of the movie, you don't, you start to not hear the Denzel voice anymore, which is good. I actually think he does a great job in it. You have also a bit part of Topher Grace, who plays David Duke, who at the time is the Grand <laughs> Wizard, the National KKK group. Um, this is. A movie where Spike tries to make people feel uncomfortable, and he tr- he dares you to laugh at things. He and it's really good because he writes really funny stuff, but it's really racist. And he's kind of like, you know, there's humor in these in these scenes of like how ridiculous the situation is, but it makes you think twice about like that. It's funny, but it's also not funny, and you don't really know how to react, which makes for a really and it's very purposeful the way he's challenging the audience, which I I really appreciated, um, and. Uh, Again, not not subtle, but the message here is clear. And I, I at least like that he owns that message. There's a, I'll say there's a sequence early on in the film where there's a speech that's given. Uh, and the way that Spike Lee shoots this speech, uh, and it's it's like the, it's very much a Black Power speech. It's not quite Black Panthers, uh, but it is a, I mean, the, the, the uh, activist group, not the <laughs> not film the that superhero. we were talking about, just to be clear. Um, not, not a group of people from Wakanda. But um, the way he shoots in the lighting in each one of these things is so expertly crafted and so unique and specific to Spike Lee in the way he wants to evoke emotion out of these scenes that it's just like it's really incredible to watch. It's almost like painterly also in the way he does it. Uh, and so I, I I was just excited to see like, oh, yeah, Spike Lee. Like I forget sometimes that he's like one of the most talented filmmakers ever uh, <laughs> just because he's not always on his game. And this is him on his game. So I was happy that it was nominated. Uh, but uh, still surprised. I didn't think that this would get this level of recognition because along with this nomination, it got five others, so six uh, Academy Award nominations total. So, yeah, Black Klansman. And ironically, I was reading an article about how, um, so when Spike Lee directed Do the Right Thing, it did not get nominated, but what yeah. did was Driving Miss Daisy, <laughs> which, yeah, and here we got Green Book. Book. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad he got his... First first director nomination, right? Yeah. I don't think he's been nominated uh, before. He got nominated for, uh, yeah, in the screenplay, right? Yeah. No? But yeah. I mean, I don't think he's been nominated for director. Oh, yes, though. you're right. That's right. Yeah. He's this, this is his first time ever yeah. as director. He won't yeah. win, but it's good to see him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1979 was the year. <laughs> 79. Okay. So I said late nice. 70s, early 80s. Yeah. That's, you had it. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Um, and I'll just add to that... Um, and there have been a lot of movies, I think, recently that have tried to tie in Trump and some yes. to very varying degrees of success. Vice, yes. I don't think, does it very well. This one I thought was incredibly effective and left me crying <laughs> at the end of the movie. Totally agree. So, totally agree. very well done. It's hard to do that in movies now, especially since yeah. we are there's a deluge of Trump coverage on news, on Twitter, yeah. on everywhere you go. And sometimes you just want to break, especially yeah. in movies. But this one was used actually to great effect, to your yeah. point. I think it's the one that's done it the most effectively. Yeah. Great. We got our last one. Last one, Shannon. Woo! Um, 
So I saved Roma for the end, um, because I think right now it's our front runner, but we're going to talk about that briefly at the end of this. (laughs) Um, So like I said, 10 nominations. um, So along with the favorite, the most nominated film. Um, It's directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who you may know from Gravity or from the third Harry Potter movie (laughs) that I adore. Um, uh, Mama Tom Bien. I was about to say, yeah. I can say better things, but really it's Prisoner of Azkaban that I love a lot. Um, the incredible thing about this film, so <laughs> I think I referred to this once as almost like the anti A Star is Born, because like with Bradley Cooper and A Star is Born, this was also very much Alfonso Cuaron's like pep project. Um, but like the difference in these two films, one is like more obvious. This one is so subtle. Um, he, so he stands to gain, um, five oscars just for himself because he pretty much did everything on this film um he produced it directed it edited it did the cinematography and the screenplay um so yeah it's really you know his um a very personal film for him both from that aspect but that it's based on his own life actually um so the film is about um an indigenous woman um now i'm not gonna remember Every time with the names, I think I'm not going to remember anyone's name. Um, do, do, I'm going to look up her name, though. Uh, Cleo. Cleo. Um, and she, so she works as a housekeeper for this affluent Mexican family. Um, Curon, this was based on, you know, the housekeeper in his house growing up. Um, and I, it's a hard movie, I think, to explain <laughs> the plot of it, really, without giving too much away. Um it's in black and white. Um, it's in Spanish. Um, Cleo is played by Yulitzia Aparicio, who's a first-time actress. And so all of those elements, I think, just make the film really natural. And um, it's really just about I didn't, the inner feelings in the inner life of this housekeeper um, who, you know, maybe within the family, no one really noticed what was going on with her in her personal life. And it's interesting because you also have, you know, the mother of this family, has, the husband's gone a lot, and you kind of can sense what's going on with them, and it sort of shows, you know, even though these two women lead very different lives, the situations in their lives, like, they deal with kind of the same issues to some extent. Um, it's a very slow, <laughs> deliberate film. Um, but really beautifully shot. Um, even just the opening credits, um, she, they have a dog that keeps pooping in like their, um, garage, like where they park the car and she keeps having to clean it. And so the whole, I want to see it. Yeah. Like who doesn't want to see that? Um, but the whole opening credits is just her, um, just fixates on a spot of the tile and the water as it comes in and out as she's cleaned the floor, which sounds, I'm sure, like the most boring thing as I'm trying to explain it, but it is such a beautiful shot. So like every part of it is just shot so incredibly. Um, I won't get into it much more than that because I think you need to see it. And it's on Netflix, so everyone should just watch it. Um, I was just going to add, I think think kind of the debate with this film and whether it could actually get a best picture nomination whether it can go all the way and win it is that it's on netflix um the academy seems like it's 
they didn't really want to nominate things from Netflix. <laughs> There's arguments that Netflix is, to some extent, kind of destroying the industry because it's taking people away from, you know, going to the theater to see films and putting it right in front of them on their TVs. Um, I ended up seeing this film in a theater, which I really think it deserved that treatment. The sound design is beautiful. Um, it really demands your attention. If I had just watched it at home, I was worried I was going to be on my phone or not, like really paying attention to every, you know, second of it. So I'd recommend that for those who haven't seen it and still have that available. But, um, yeah, Netflix put a ton of money into their campaign, hired like all the best people. PR, like Oscar campaign people to work for him. And so, yeah, this, I think now is going to make it all the way. Um, yeah, it's made it farther than I would have expected <laughs> earlier on in the year. But yeah. What are the top three best picture? Like if that's the front runner, what's the two and three? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, <laughs> I still am not sure <laughs> what's going to win. And that's a whole other we could go over everything that's like won awards this season, but it's gone back and forth. Um, I mean, the Golden Globes, you have Bohemian Rhapsody, and what won comedy even? Uh, oh, Green Book. There was a yeah. time where I legitimately thought it was going to be Green Book <laughs> for a little bit, and I think that's what made me so upset um, <laughs> about like issues with it um, because it won... I don't, it won like the Producers Guild Award, like a bunch of things that kind of lead you to win Best Picture. Um, I would say that's still in the running. Like I said, early on, A Star Is Born, I think, was a front runner. Um, yeah, I, I'd say it's probably still Green Book, Roma, and <laughs> I would laugh if Bohemian Rhapsody won, but it, the way this season has gone, like <laughs> if it won, I wouldn't really be that shocked. Because yeah. everything else that's one has been kind of stupid. <laughs> um, most recently, Roma won um, BAFTA, which is like the um, British Academy Awards. It won Best Film. And that actually does have overlap with the Academy. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> what do you think will win and what should win? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Black Panther, because that's... Black Panther <laughs> should win everything. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. It depends on how much you believe in the Sean Penn effect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I, I, I am biased by my how much I consume content from The Ringer, um, both yeah. from reading the articles and websites as well as <laughs> listening to Big Picture Show as well as Bill Simmons. Yeah. And like they're so pro A Star Is Born, like so extremely so. So extremely like so, just... it was it was weird. Sorry. Oh, yeah, do you, do you, are you a Ringer fan as well? Yeah, you, yeah. I know. I, I was a little bit like, yeah. look, I liked it. I mean, I think Shannon may have liked it a little bit more, but I totally agree with the assessment of like the first hour is like it's nearly it's immaculate, it's incredible, and then it really starts to fall apart. Like the scene at the Grammys is just it's so cringeworthy, not because of what's happening, but because it's that ridiculous. Um, yeah, but. Um, but anyway, it, they, they're talking about it so much that they only ha- almost have me convinced that there's this late surge that's like, oh, maybe they can. <laughs> and then I have to like back away and be like, oh, no, that's just like one media outlet that's like a weirdly obsessed with this. Yeah. They're obsessed with the idea of the movie <laughs> yeah. all the way up to the actual like execution of it. Um, and they do that from time to time. And so like part of me feels like A Star is Born has a shot. Uh, I think it's going to be Roma, though. Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons why it's going to be Roma. Um, I think... 
this well generally i would say like a foreign language film like academy is not going to go for like we have a hard enough time getting them to watch these screeners and actually pay attention <laughs> to the image let alone reading subtitles like it's it's yeah. it's it's a it's a lot to ask of these Academy Award <laughs> Academy Award voters who have one job to do by the way. Like, Let me do this job. This I, is, I can't yeah. even tell you how studiously I would watch every single one of them, and I would have this like super intricate scoring system. Yep. I would take it so seriously, but I've talked to enough Academy Award, uh, Academy Award voters in real life really? that have talked to me about their process. Yeah, and that's two. Um, yeah, and, uh, who have talked about their two process that I like don't trust anything. I don't trust. It's just like burn it all down. Um, so it's like you know it's like oh you're given this responsibility and you don't care you're not treating it with the like i this would be this process would be so sacred to me like i would take it so seriously and these people are like i watched like one third of the screeners it's like okay yeah um so anyway my point is is usually roma wouldn't win something like this but i think it will because I, i do think and i hate that this comes into play but there is a political statement to be made we're in the we're in the we are now in a declared national emergency about putting up the wall in Mexico, and to have a Mexican filmmaker and who is one of the greatest filmmakers alive telling this very specific personal story about a housekeeper in Mexico and about a, an, an individual that's coming from you know again I haven't seen the whole film I've seen twenty minutes of it but obviously <laughs> someone that comes from humble means uh, yeah. I think that I could very much see the Academy wanting to wanting that to win just to send a message. Um, and I'm f- I'm fine with that. I haven't seen the whole film again, but like, um, I'm okay with that winning more than any other film. Here. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind if Black Klansman won. Doesn't have a shot. I wouldn't mind if uh, if A Star Is Born won, um, even though I didn't think it was the best film of the year. I mean, w- the movie that I think should win is wasn't nominated, and so and that's yeah. like three or four <laughs> of them. So. Yeah. Although your favorite one is probably gonna win animated. So. Yeah. You think Yay. so? Yeah. I actually think Incredibles 2 is going to Spi- Spider-Verse? Spider-Verse. That was so great. <laughs> oh, that's totally going to win. And my favorite film of the year is not nominated for documentary, and I'm going to be ticked about it for the Isn't rest. Isn't that crazy? Which is what, Shannon? <laughs> Which is watched, Won't You Be My I Neighbor. Watched, that's insane. Oh. <sighs> Although I I, They Shall Not Grow Old, uh, the Peter Jackson oh, yeah. documentary. Oh, yeah. Also wasn't nominated. Yeah. Is that? It's incredible. Was that last year, it's though? It's incredible. It just recently came out, though. Is that not that's that? true? It did just recently come out, didn't it? I you thought, sure I that's thought it not... came out. In my my husband went to an advanced mm-hmm. screening like two weeks ago. Oh, so well, hmm. yeah. Sometimes it. Well, I should look that up. I, I'm. I, I can't say I'm certain, <laughs> but I, I think they did like a New York screening on like the thirty oh, first or something. Uh, sneak like, it I feel in. like I could be wrong, but I'd be so shocked if they didn't. That try would to make get it sense. Under the gun. Like that would be really surprising to me. Yeah. But uh, did you see it, Courtney? Yeah, it's incredible. It's really incredible. I need to go. Yeah, you Kay. do. I need to go. Did you, you watch do. the 30 minute thing afterwards? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. They have like a making of right after, which mm-hmm. I love. It's so good. It's so good. But anyway. After it's... this week, once I get out of all my yeah. Oscar viewing, I'm getting to it. I did just finish watching all of the Oscar nominated documentaries, though. Nice. And. Yeah. They have some good ones. I just think <laughs> Mr. Rogers is What's the better. worst one? What's the worst out of the documentaries? <sighs> That's... I feel like it's terrible to say any one of them is bad. I'm trying to think of... So Minding the Gap was in my top 10 films. Minding the Gap I love. Free Solo I love, so I think it should be in there. Now I'm trying to think of what the fifth one is. But the... Uh... What's the one that has like the city name in it, or it's like H- H- Hill H- County is beautiful, Hill- but I think for me, 
I didn't resonate with that as much. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. just not a film made for me. <laughs> but, and there is one that's actually pretty cool. Sorry, I'm going over, but I'm going to tell you. They, um, this guy, um, the director, uh, they found a guy in the Taliban and he like, kind of became friends with them and said he sort of aligned with them so with al-qaeda so that he could like film this guy and his kids and how his kids are kind of being brought up in this environment and that was wild just the access he got to that family (laughs) because i don't think we see that a lot and i can't remember the fifth one so that's probably the one i think is worst if i can't remember it so yeah i don't know there were a lot of good choices. It was a tough year for that. But yet, but oddly enough, they didn't even nominate the best documentary. I mean, like that's that's I, what's yes. crazy. Yeah, and that's another thing. Problem with the Academy, and I don't belabor that point as well. But <laughs> they didn't get nominated because they all thought it would for sure get in. Yep. Yeah, that, that's honestly the reason. There's no <laughs> yeah. way the Academy thinks it wasn't deserving. Yeah. They just thought, oh, this was the one shoe in of all the ones, and so let's vote for these other lesser known ones, and then not enough yeah. people voted for it. It's like we got to keep that from happening. <sighs> Wild. Yeah. Well, cool. all right. Well, <laughs> that's going to be belabored this topic. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for coming on. Yeah. Um, always a pleasure. This is a blast. <laughs> so, uh, Stoffer, where can people find your stuff? Brave Little Podcast. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find the Brave Little Podcast. We are, Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to have Shannon on to do a whole Sundance report, which I'm excited to hear. Ooh. And uh, and then we will certainly be doing an Oscars, uh, probably oh, a, pre-pod, a pre and post pod. And so uh, you can you can uh, look out for that. Awesome. Um, and then as for us, you can find us on Twitter at PC Footnotes or on Facebook. You can find us on our website, popculture-footnotes.com. And please email us, email us your ideas for things that you want us to sum up for you. So that would be popculturefootnotes at gmail.com. Cool. Thanks again for coming on, Stoffer. And you're going to be back for Fast and Furious. That's a thing we need to make happen. I'm putting it out there. Hobbs and Shaw. I'm here for it. All right. Well, until next time, we'll see you guys. Bye.